Untitled Beatles podcast. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. That's my favorite. Oh, my love. My sweet Lord mashup. <laughs> oh, my Lord. For the first. <laughs> World's worst Beatles mashups. <laughs> oh, my God. We should, all right. Welcome to the <coughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm TJ Shanoff and Tony. We both done radio. Everybody loves hearing the sound of a man coughing in their in their <laughs> earbuds or headphones the second they oh, start yeah. a pod. Oh yeah, man. I mean, it's a teaser for what's to come. Dick Biondi. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Biondi still with us. He's 115 years old. He's amazing. Magic 104. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oldies 104.3. I, Three, you know what? Yeah. I always feel like every time they play that jingle, this song came out of it. In my mind, this is seared. It's this. Oldies 104.3. Riding along in my automobile. I feel like they always had that Chuck Berry tune no coming No particular out of place ID. to go. Yeah. Great song. That's a good song. Mm-hmm. Chuck Berry. He's the Mark Twain of our generation. You can't read it? You can't deal with him anymore? You got to cancel him, Chuck Berry? Well, you kind of do have to cancel him. You have to cancel him when he was like peeing on women on videotape. You have to cancel that part. Yeah, that's a bad one. Or when he looked, you saw deranged playing with John and Yoko with like Chuck wanted to ask somebody, quick question, where am I? <laughs> um, well, today we thought we would, since it's August, uh, we would celebrate the rough 55th anniversary of the album Help coming out. Whoa, whoa. you told me we were doing Neil Diamond's Hot August Night live album. That's <laughs> live all I've been Greek. listening to. Maybe tonight. I've never got, you know, I think because when, when I was really getting into classic rock and I just, I didn't start smoking pot till my sophomore year of college. So like I, I got, I got late into that, but at some point in like my college days, I, somebody played for me this Neil Diamond song that was like mocking pot smokers. And ever since oh, then, yeah. I can't the pot smokers you. song from yeah. his uh, Velvet Gloves and Spit, nineteen you're going to smoke pot. So yeah. it's like... Like, hey, why don't you and Nancy Reagan just suck it for a minute? I'm not, I don't have a needle in my arm. I'm, I'm taking a hit and listening to Paul's Boutique. Leave me alone. <laughs> good, good choices. Yeah. That album is good. So that album has also has Brooklyn Roads on it. And uh, yeah, yeah. The Pot Smokers song also has three like snippets of interviews from, from people that were, had drug problems and were basically quitting uh, doing smoking pot with like seeing a pink elephant and uh, and then and then people started and then I started shooting acid I started shooting acid in my spine <laughs> la 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 pot pot my God, it's pot. well you know it's funny you've never seen Neil Diamond or Mitt Romney in the same room together at the same time right <laughs> I am a uh, I'm also a Neil Diamond defender I love Neil Diamond uh, but yeah I mean that song's Dude. what it is. Oh, I love him. He, he he wrote a song rejected from E.T. that he still released and said influenced by the movie E.T. Remember yeah, that one? Light. Turn on your heart when they hit to 82. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> All goes back to 82. Love that song. Well, Man, Sean. Uh, the, the 45 was, I love it. I think it said like influenced by the Steven Spielberg <laughs> film. One of my favorite things ever is on the Back to the Future 3 soundtrack, there was a huge sticker in record stores, like a hype sticker that said 
Double Back by ZZ Top, then Tiny Letters <laughs> is not included on this album. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that one. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Good shit. All right, well. But back to the Beatles. <laughs> back to the Beatles. Back to the goddamn Beatles. All right, we got to do this Beatles thing. <laughs> Fine. Uh, my, uh, what, what's your work release? I got to do this fucking Beatles podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Dave Clark Five guy. <laughs> Well, it was released uh, in the UK, August 6th, 1965. It's their fifth UK album. Uh, it was released a few days later in the US in a different version. Um, seven songs from the movie were on the A side, and then the other B side, the B side had other songs on it. And they recorded about 20 songs total around this project. Um, some of which didn't get released till you know anthology two and all that. Yeah, some of which, which we'll get into, are among arguably the worst songs. At least one of those songs is among the worst songs the Beatles ever recorded. Are we talking about if you've got trouble? I'm talking about if you got trouble. At one point, where Ringo, I believe, says, well, "Rock on, anybody, anybody, Maybe yeah." Someone take the solo. All right. Well, we'll we'll get to we'll that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. But we I guess a general overview of help. Let's provide some context. Although everybody Please. listening to this obviously knows it came after Beatles for Sale, which was released at the end of '64, and uh, what five months later? This is August '65. In December of 65 came a, a minor Beatles album called Rubber Soul. And in between, they were touring like crazy, right? Yeah, so, Shea Stadium. And then they also had to film this Help movie throughout the spring right. of 65. Uh, there was so much going it, It's part of the, I'll say this in every Beatles podcast we do, but as great as the music is, there's no story in the history of rock or I think any recorded music that points to this kind of brilliance under this kind of pressure with these kind of time frames. Help what you and I, before we started, talked about 66 um, uh, revolver, the way the world was, was changing, kind of hinting it's the, the summer of love a year later to come. But in 65 to release help and, and rubber soul in the same year. And that's just in Britain and America. There were 16 albums in 65. Yeah. Beatles six and all that right. stuff. Yeah. yeah Oddly yeah. enough, Beatles 65 came out in 64, which when I figured <laughs> that out in like eighth grade, I was like, Whoa, we've <laughs> well, been lied like to a new car, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right. It was the first new phase Beatles album. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so at any rate, the help is to me the album. And in fact, when the CDs were released, maybe I think of it because of this, because in 87, when they issued everything on CD, the first four British albums came out first. And then the next three in the spring of 87 were Help, Rubber Soul and Revolver, all of which feel Help feels like a natural progression of Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul brings that to Revolver. I always think of those three albums together. So I look at Help as kind of the part one of that trilogy of greatness yeah that's totally cool yeah. so i didn't know they did that um meaning that they released the beatles records kind of not piecemeal but in in clumps like that i didn't know that well part of the reason they did that was demand was so high i think in the last episode we talked about how late emi was to getting the beatles on cd just like with itunes they were it's always a yeah. fight over royalties and and uh, the decision to standardize everything. You mentioned the American Capital Help. We'll get into that. I listened to that again for the first time in ages to kind of prep for yeah, this. Me too. And, me too. <laughs> oh my God. The instrumental tracks are, you forget that they're actually, they can be an annoyance, but taken as a whole, they're brilliant. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fun. They're, 
they're they're fun and it it presages the 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 Indian influence in in the Beatles' work and especially George Harrison. But um, at any rate, the CDs came out the first four I think in January February of eighty seven. The next three in the spring because they wanted to save Sgt. Pepper for its twentieth anniversary in June of eighty seven, which began the whole it was twenty years ago today campaign right. when the CD came out. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I remember there was even like a PBS special, I think, called that, that I remember was. taping off of the television um, years later. Um, well, cool, cool. Uh, also, uh, this is trivia. You know, the album cover, they're doing the flag semaphore mm-hmm. stuff, and it, but they're not, that doesn't spell out help. Um, the British version, they spell out um, new jiv. <laughs> <laughs> That's N-U-J-V. New Jib. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm TJ Shannon for New Jib. <laughs> Don't have time to work out, but want to take drugs to make you thinner. New Jib gives you just the kick you need. It's an amphetamine, but we can't call it that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Throw out all those old jibs or save them <laughs> for later. I sold all my old jibs on eBay's. <laughs> and then the U.S. version, because... Uh, uh, they switch Paul and Ringo around or whatever. It's Nivuge, <laughs> N-V-U-J, is what they're spelling out on that cover. <laughs> Nivuge, so. my friend, Nivuge. <laughs> so, yeah, a little trivia. Well, let's go song by song, shall we? Yeah, I, I guess, yes, I would love to go song by song. And let's do our pre-show on the show itself. Are we using the British album as the standard? Yeah, let's go British, and then we'll talk like American... You know, despair. Woman by the guess who? <laughs> These Canadians singing about American chicks. I always thought that was a Lenny Kravitz song. <laughs> oh, I love that there was always because you and I are we're, we're very, very close in age. And you remember when the Guns and Roses Living That Die came out, you and I am sure both knew because I did. I knew assholes who were like, that new GNR song is great. I'm like, idiot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's not just a Paul McCartney song. It's one of the biggest songs ever. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's yeah. talk about the British Health album, which kicks off their mid-period and begins with arguably one of the top five most important and self-referential John Lennon songs ever written. Yeah. Um, it's Only Love. <laughs> <laughs> my oh my which John Lennon hated and yeah, wrote that in, in yeah. the Playboy interview I love yeah. it I do too oh, well, 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 alright well let's start <laughs> <laughs> let's jump all over the place here it starts with the title track help exclamation mm-hmm. point so yeah I still love this song I'm not I this one hasn't burned out yet uh, in my head I think it's an exciting song and it was a quick commission it was like it was uh, recorded later in the recording process because the movie had been called Eight Arms to Hold You, and uh, Richard Lester had some other ideas. George Harrison had some other ideas, too. Something called, like, Get Me Out of This Porridge, or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> which which was later featured as a B-side from the Extra Texture album. <laughs> <laughs> you love that Extra Texture. <laughs> I don't. Extra Texture and Dark Horse. I love you, George, but thank God for 33 and a third. When he, when he went and did his own label with Warner Brothers, George picked up again for me. But yeah, at, at, at any rate, yeah, so Help uh, help was written quickly. And I think original pressings of the single actually had 
I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Ticket to Ride that the original okay. Capital Pressing said uh, from the from the uh, United Artists film Eight Arms to Hold You. Was oh actually right! On those early forty fives, that would be Ticket to Ride because that was the yeah. that was the first song recorded in sixty five. That's right. But um, yeah, this was inspired. Well, it was it was a cry for help. He said it was it was this time when he didn't know how to do handle the Beatle thing, according to Paul. You know, and he was admittedly eating and drinking like a pig, and he felt fat. He later called it his fat Elvis period. His fat Elvis period, yeah. Right, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, so he wrote this song. He just thought it was a, a rock song, but I think he was just kind of subconsciously tapping into what was really going on in his head, which was, help, help me. I don't know what to do, you know? That's the pitfalls of being one of the world's biggest celebrities, trapped in a marriage he didn't want to be in. I'm pretty sure Julian was born by this time as well. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, Paul's gallivanting with Jane Asher and anybody else he meets after a concert, you know. Right. John, John is domesticated. And miserable. And, you know, he, he hinted at this with uh, Beatles for Sale. Uh, I'm a loser is almost like a precursor to help. I'm a loser felt more like a pop song, whereas help feels like a balls to the wall confessional. And the fact that it's so brilliantly recorded and played is what keeps it. It's never self-pitying. The greatest compliment to the song help is it's self-referential and it's confessional but he's not self-pitying. He's begging for mercy. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time he's, uh, yeah, he's not feeling sorry for himself. He's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's those four letters. Help. Help. Um, also another little thing, uh, the journalist Maureen Cleave challenged him to write a song that had more than one syllable. And so that's why he's got um, independence. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. Yeah, he was... But he was, he was trying to he was trying to expand his vocabulary in in his songwriting. But you know that first of all, fuck Maureen Cleave. Isn't she <laughs> the one who ran with the the bigger than Jesus? Yeah. Uh, thing isn't she, yeah. she's she's that journalist. Yeah. And you know also I think by then by this time John had written in his own right. Yes, and which, in fact, which, Spaniard in the Works was and, coming and out. And Spaniard in the Works. That's right. Yeah. So he'd already proven that he was a, 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 a kind of, God forgive the cliche, but he was a bit of a genius when it came to all things poetic and lyrical. So yeah. again, that, that Maureen Cleaves nothing but trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds like they were, sounds like they hung out though. It sounds like she was like one of those peripheral friends maybe, but. You know what she is? She's the, Maureen Cleave is to the 60s, but Laura Ingram is to the 2020s. Oh, woo. Hot take. Yeah, I said it. Well, and listen, that's not the only Fox News connection. John and Yoko were buddies, fucking buddies, with Geraldo Rivera in the 70s. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Geraldo, well, and, and then Geraldo became a guy, well, I believe you lock all the kids up. Fuck you, Geraldo. Yeah, Geraldo changed. Geraldo in the 70s was a different Geraldo than, you know, something happened after that Al Capone's vault thing. Oh, remember that? On WGN. I, I, I watched it on, live. I did too, and nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. A, a, li a little like the movie Help, by the way. We'll get <laughs> oh, yeah. the movie another we'll time. Do, yeah, we'll do the movie some other time. The um, the 65 stereo mix, thank you for sharing that with me, TJ, because I had not heard that. The original 1965 stereo mix is not what you hear on the CDs. George Martin went in the mid-80s to remix, what was it, specifically Help and Rubber Soul, I believe? Help and Rubber Soul were the first Beatles remixes to be released officially since rock and roll music 
in, in America in 76 that we talked about last week. Right, um, right. Yeah, and it was controversial at the time, but because of that, the 1965 stereo hadn't made its way to digital except as bonus tracks in the Beatles mono box set. You, you still can't download them, but if you buy the mono box set, you get the 65 stereo original help and rubber sole. Yeah. Well, on the 65 stereo mix of help, the vocal ending is longer. So there yes. you go. <laughs> it is. And I think we can kind of, as we talk about every track, I want to get this out now. I believe the stereo, the stereo 65 mix is the cleanest and best mix I've ever heard of help. Nice. This to me is the album, you know, they just remixed uh, Abbey Road last year. Let It Be was supposed to come out this year, remixed, you know, with the whole kind of Giles Martin going yeah. back to the master tapes and, uh, you know, Sgt. Pepper. Uh, help needs it the most. I think this is their flattest sounding record. It's one of the few to me where almost everything's worse in mono. And the remix stereo feels flatter to me than that 65 stereo. If you can find it, find it. I think it's the best way to really hear the clarity of the, the music. I agree, man. I agree. Yeah, it, it definitely sounded brighter and more vibrant. Um, yeah. Well, the next song uh, is The Night Before. It's. I like this song. I still like it. I liked it when I first heard it. I still like it. It might be dismissed as a throwaway, fluff, trite, but I like it. I think it's a great song, Tony, and it kicks off one of the things that makes this album so special and unique in the Beatles catalog. The use of electric piano on this album. Yes, it's all is, over this record, and I love it. It's all over this record, and there's there's piano too, but the electric piano sound is so neat, and it's unlike any other Beatles record, right? Right. No, we hadn't really heard that. We heard a little bit of like organ on I Want to Be Your Man, but that was also down in the mix. And yeah, yeah. And of course, there there was loungy piano and not a second time. So it's not yeah, like right. keyboards were foreign to the Beatles. Uh, certainly right. rock and roll music. Rock and roll jo music, jo yeah. George Martin playing all those, what, uh, 16th notes. Yeah. Are those 16th yeah. notes? Did you make that up? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Coming up next, Tony counts beats. <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 gonna do Brubeck's take five with Tony counting the beats for you next. <laughs> Maybe they're triplets. Anyway, whatever they are. <laughs> uh, but anyway, proving that George Martin could rock out, which is different than Grandpa George Martin not rocking out in the Take It Away video, where it's like. <laughs> Who invited the, the guy from the home in to play with a well-dressed Paul and Linda? Linda's wearing a sweater. Denny Lane's like, am I even on the record? <laughs> I mean, uh, Eric Stewart. Eric Stewart. Um, so at any rate, one of the things I love about The Night Before is that piano intro grabs you right away. And it's not the most complicated intro ever, but it's got such a great sound and it just revs up into that McCartney vocal. As usual, the Beatles' taste took a mediocre song and knocked it up about four notches. It's a really yeah. fun song. And that, that electric piano is a, it's a, do you say Hofner or Honer? Cause I've always heard Hofner bass, but like a Honer harmonica or something. Uh, I don't know. I always pronounce it. It's a Hofner bass and a Honer piano, I think. Okay. Horner. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Honer pianet, uh, is the, the actual instrument and that's john playing on the night before uh this is also a big era of john playing keyboard or organ yeah because one of the songs that didn't make the help album i think god is it the best J paul mccartney rock vocal i'm down was recorded in these sessions and was the b-side to help god i think all over the world definitely in america but i'm forgetting now if i'm down because yes it is was the b-side to ticket to ride correct 
which is another gorgeous, gorgeous song we can get into in our addendum to songs left off the album. But I'm down as well. That has John Lennon playing the keyboard. And in the Shea Stadium video, he lo- it's some of the best Lennon footage ever. If you haven't seen it, go find it where John loses his mind. He's having a nervous breakdown on stage. <laughs> at the cha- he is. He, at the chaos of all those fans and not being able to hear each other and the weirdness of it all. So, yeah, that... This is a big piano and keyboard era for the Beatles. And as a piano guy myself, um, if you don't believe me, here's the Hill Street Blues theme. No, um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite albums because of all the, the keyboard. Yeah. Lennon famously playing the, uh, the, I think it was a Vox Continental organ on the stage uh, with his elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those glisses, yeah. Yeah, and he's—they're having a blast, though. I'm, I'm like, if that's a nervous breakdown, I want one. <laughs> I'm having one, and it's not as fun. <laughs> my my um, nervous breakdown begins with tears and ends with makers. So that's how it's going over here. I'll just play that piano, play it with your knees or something. Let me oh, take some, Tony. <laughs> oh my God! All right, I love it. Thank you. Uh, I think we have to call ASCAP now. Um, <laughs> I loved ASCAP, one of my favorite improv shows. Yeah, they were fun. Uh, RIP. Uh, anyway, uh, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, uh, third song. Have you heard of this one, TJ? <laughs> no, this is one that I actually am not familiar with. I do know that means a lot, but just the PJ Proby version. Hashtag PJ Proby. Uh, hashtag um, PJ Proby. Hashtag get never... away from me with your PJ Proby. <laughs> my, my Me Too moment, I've been PJ Proby, and I didn't mean to have been it right now. <laughs> a friend said that his love is all I've got. Um, yeah, so uh, Hide Your Love Away, which as we talked about in our compilation issue last week, kind of was always an important song, but became Beatles canon with the issue of 62 to 66. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it became like, oh, this is one of the important ones as chosen by the Beatles. Well, I've heard of this song, TJ, and uh, it's it's a good song. Uh, it's, it's not my favorite, but who cares? I, I don't know. Here's what I remember. I remember when I first heard it, I thought two foot small was funny because you're expecting two foot tall. And if I recall where I read John Lennon when playing the song for Paul accidentally said two foot small, and he liked it and kept it. And then it was Pete Shodden from the Quarrymen, old friend, who was the one that suggested the, hey, mm-hmm. for the chorus. Which I also, when I first heard that, you know, as a teenager, I just, I thought it was funny. There was something that was funny. It was like, oh, surprising that you would just yell in the middle of a song. <laughs> it's it, it feels like he's leading a sing-along in a bar is what it always felt like. And that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons that the Beach Boys cover of it is both effective and maddening on that Having a Party album. <laughs> or whatever the hell that yeah. album's called. They just party. Party with an exclamation point. It was oh their help. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> but it... Uh, yeah, that it, it, to me, it's an important song. It is not one of my favorite John Lennon or Beatles songs. What I really love and respect about it, it's it's the most quote-unquote Dylan-y, and I don't even know what that means necessarily, but when you think of Dylan's influence, at least when I do, that's one of the ones that always kind of pops into my head for no good reason. It doesn't sound like a Bob Dylan song. It just kind of has, I've connected it in my mind with kind of being Dylan 
Dylan-esque, so to speak. Oh, yeah, totally. And the other thing about it that's so unique is it's possibly written about Brian Epstein, who was gay at the time, and I'm pretty sure he was not out, at least not globally or nationally, maybe within the Beatles circles for sure, but it was not... There was not discussion of Brian Epstein being gay in the early to mid 60s. Right. And, uh, you know, there were the Playboy interviewer. I'm forgetting his name and I'm sorry because it's a great interview from 1980. Uh, asked John about that song and said, that's him in love with Paul. Right. What's the who's the interviewer's name? David Sheff. David Sheff. Right. 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 Because at one point, uh, John sings an Eleanor Rigby parody with David Sheff's name when he comes in. I, that's <laughs> And like part of the book, that's David Sheff. Sorry, David Sheff. It's a great interview. Um uh, the last major one as yeah. well. Um, but one of the things that's so uh, cool about that interview is the interview says, this was about Brian's love for Paul, right? And John goes, no, that's irrelevant. It's not. And by the way, it was about Brian's love for me, which is an interesting moment. Yeah, they like they had a holiday together once and John was like living vicariously, you know, through Brian's homosexuality, like they be at a cafe and he'd be like, well, what do you think of that guy? You know, what do you think of this guy? And he said he was like living like a writer, you know, for the experience. And this is like 64 or whatever. So this is like, you know, different times, as they say. They, they were in Spain. I think it was Amarillo, Spain when they were doing this. Oh, was Okay. Or or did I just put two story because he did not write Strawberry Fields with Brian Epstein right, having right. A, in the sixty four. So I, I may be can Beatle Nerds, I may be conflating two trips to Spain. Yeah, perhaps. That Jew Shanoff don't even know when <laughs> he was like, why is this anti Semitic all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, all our hate mails about me being Jewish. Yeah. Well, well sign of the times. Right. What can you do? That's what the world is now. Oh well. <laughs> Um, nothing we can do about it. Guess we'll just move on. It'll get better on its own. <laughs> on its own. Do nothing. Um, <laughs> I should say, uh, before we move on that, um, this is the first recording with the exception of Andy White, uh, on Love Me Do to feature an outside performer, an outside musician. On the, the flute, right? Yeah. Johnny, John, Johnny Scott on flute. He did a tenor and then he overdubbed an alto. So it's two flutes on there. Wait a minute. Johnny Scott played flute on this, and Ronnie Scott played saxophone on Lady Madonna? I've never seen them in the same room together. Please welcome the Scott <laughs> brothers. Johnny and Ronnie on flute and sax playing freeform jazz. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, well, I, I, I never knew his name, uh, but I will look up his number. And <laughs> nice. So to, uh, so to me... That song, like I said, feels extra important because it's on the Red Album, and that might just be a generational thing. It is a great and important Beatles song that is not one of my favorites. <laughs> I think we see the same thing in that. Um, another song I like on this record is the next one, I Need You, George Harrison's uh, first contribution since Don't Bother Me back in 63. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, yes, again, it's 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 pop and it's a bit fluff and... But I still love it. Um, I think the volume pedal that is used on this song and then later on the same day or the next day, whenever it was to record Yes It Is, I think that really makes the song. Um, it's a 12-string Rickenbacker played through that um, pedal. And they they said that like maybe John was like kneeling in front of George, manipulating the actual volume control while Harrison played the guitar. 
that's kind of what it sounds like. I never heard that, but it makes perfect sense because it almost feels like it's going in and out and in and out. Yeah, I feel that the t- the tempo on the actual volume control would be hard to do as a guitarist because it's kind of it's not has nothing to do with the rhythm. Usually, if you're playing, it's like a wah wah pedal, basically, is what he's playing. And usually, when you play a wah wah pedal as a guitarist, you're kind of like tapping it to the rhythm of the song. Generally, generally. And also, it was brand new. So, you know what I mean? Like, these techniques hadn't even been developed yet, you know? They, they were developing them in real time, which is what's so cool about it. And another reason why, imagine a song like I Need You, sung by any other standard issue, good, mediocre, or great British band or American band. Think how flaccid, and it is not a great written song, but it's performed so interestingly and sung... The thing about a George song like that is they always sound dark. It's not a dark song, but there's a darkness to it, uh, like Don't Bother Me. Yeah. I mean, what what a weird uh, – uh, the early Beatles songs, like There's a Place and, and Don't Bother Me um, have uh, – I'll, I'll Cry Instead have weird kind of darkness to them about self or about how they're performed. So that's one thing that's always kept the song fascinating to me. I love this. And there's a great cover of this, the only cover I've ever heard that's got Tom Petty and his band doing it at the tribute to George that breathes such life into it. And with Petty's great band yeah. behind him, it's 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 gorgeously done. Yeah. Agreed, man. After that, on the record comes Another Girl, which um, feels like a poppier version of She's a Woman. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got the same, same structure, the guitar. Yeah. And the guitars on the twos and fours, um, just like she's a woman. Um, yeah, it's not my favorite. This might be one of my like not favorites by the Beatles. Um, it's, it's just kind of a drab song to me, but I, I do like the chorus. I do. Or the change, I should say, like the verse and all that kind of bores me. But when it when the song changes, I like that part. You know, one of the things I, I love about it is this song also, too, is kind of dark. Paul's singing in this low register. Uh, there's that kind of bouncing guitar. I think that's Paul playing those bear, 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 uh, just those yeah. kind of weird. They're almost without notes. Uh, how do you chart that out? Um, <laughs> exactly. It, it's uh, the the song has kind of a weird. Uh, I ain't no fool, and I don't take what I don't want. Is not like any other Paul McCartney lyric. So uh, I like the song because it's weird. It's a kind of a precursor to some of those Rubber Soul songs he was singing that have kind of a spite in them which sounds like he was him and jane asher were you know fighting a lot yeah like i'm looking through you and all that you won't see me yeah Yeah. you're right yeah i think it's like the beginning of his and jane's maybe parting of ways well which is why i've just seen a face is about brian we're breaking that news right here (laughs) (laughs) it was uh, another girl it was uh trivia it was written in a bathroom in tunisia (laughs) <laughs> that's for real that is for real I'm not, I, didn't, I didn't know that him I and Jane were on it. a thing we're on a vacation <laughs> otherwise known as a thing <laughs> you know in, 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 in popular parlance a thing when you take a vacation <laughs> um, alright well moving on you're going to lose that girl um, I still like this song I, I don't, I, and I can't explain it there's something about this song I like, and again, like if it were in the hands of something like the Dave Clark Five or the Knickerbockers or whatever, like I think it would be a different story. Lies, lies, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, lies by the Knickerbockers. Yeah. I just yeah. listened to that yesterday. Yeah. Um, great tune. It is a great tune, but I, I you know, like, it, yeah, I don't know. There's something about this song. 
Am I wrong in saying that you particularly like this song a lot? This is on my top five Beatles songs list, if I had to make a list. Okay. It's one well, of my all, all-time favorites. Well, take it away then. Uh, <laughs> you want to hear me play to the lights go down? We can do this all day. Who's, who, raise your hand if you're annoyed by a Beatles cliche leading to a Beatles lyric. Um, the use of piano doubling in the intro to me, it's this song, the rhythm starts out, you wonder when you first hear it, is it a pop song? Is it a soul song? You're gonna boom, bum, 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 bum. It almost has like an early Motowny thing before it kind of kicks in. Yeah. That that Ringo fill to kind of kick it in is simple, but it's mixed powerfully. Yeah. And before you can blink, you are being inundated with Ringo bongos. <laughs> Hello, Ringo bongo. <laughs> Hello, bongo Ringo. You're there. Uh, have you ever heard bongos mixed louder on a non Santana <laughs> record in the rock catalog in your life? Yeah, oh, yeah, come by, indeed. Yeah, Santana yeah, was definitely influenced by this song. Then <laughs> <laughs> they, they never talk about it. Um, by the way, can we can we both agree on one thing? Santana was never better than when they duetted with Rob Thomas. <laughs> oh, I, mean, I, I I will never forgive Clive Davis. That. I mean, it, it's and it sold Santana more records than they'd ever sold. Yeah, no, but good for him. Good for him. Uh, you got to do what they, you got to do, I guess. You can buy a Santana Greatest Hits collection that goes from Oye Como Va to winning to uh, smooth. And it's <laughs> insulting. Yeah, man. Uh, but at any rate. Third Eye Blind. Third Eye <laughs> uh, match, Third Eye Matchbox 20. Oh, no, you're right. I'm, you know what? Same band. Fuck you. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I'm going to push you around, and I will, and I will. What the terrible – how come they haven't been canceled? All those bands What's the song with about? numbers I'm going to push them. a woman around. Um, um, yeah, uh, f- fuck all those bands. But this is what I – it's, it's jangly. It's got a little bit of Motown, a little bit of Birds, a whole lot of Beatles, some of the most amazing harmonies, that piano in the intro, the simple call and response uh, guitar solo yeah. repeating the yeah. chorus, the harmony at the end. It's one of my favorite Beatles endings, probably right next to Please Please Me. It just ends. I, I, I've heard the song 20 million times and still going to chill every time I hear it. I do a little inside joke because when, when I started getting into the Beatles, it was the late 80s. And so whenever this song ends, I always sing, who's that girl? <laughs> Which is the, uh, Madonna the Madonna vehicle? <laughs> I think her and second. George movie. worked with Madonna right around then, so it all comes back. To, it all this does. is why QAnon are the only people telling us the truth. Yes, Trump defends pedophiles every day, but maybe he's working to get the real pedophiles out. Trump's our Q uh, our QAnon messiah. Uh, Trump, what do you think happens to a sex trafficker? I wish her well. Right. Oh, it's part of the plan. Trust the plan. See, it's a double trick. I'm, I'm tired of everybody, Tony. I'm losing. You also caught me on a day where I'm losing my mind. No, this is that so, nervous breakdown you were talking about. That doesn't sound help. fun. I need somebody. Yeah. Not just anybody. No, just play with your elbows. Play that piano with your elbows. It'll be all right. How can you laugh? At any rate, uh, I, I love You're Gonna Lose That Girl. All-time favorite. Also love the Madonna Who's That Girl soundtrack. Senorita Estenina, Who's That Girl. We're on the same page. <laughs> And then I have a technical thing. You gave me that. Thank you again for that 65 stereo mix. Listen to it 
at at minute 45 in, there is a slash clumsy edit on those bongos. Ooh, I don't know if I picked that up, and I've heard or it a lot. Congas. Okay, okay. Yeah, check it out. Well, maybe, well, may, or don't. Don't listen for it, because now maybe it'll ruin that forever. But there is just like an edit on those bongos that's just like, whoa, okay. I, I, I will I will check that out again. Maybe it's just so kind of ingrained in me, I don't even hear it anymore. But there's a funny George Harrison comment from when the CDs came out in 87, where he was asked in like Digital Review or CD Monthly to talk about him. And he goes, yeah, those bongos are mixed. He made some comment about like, well, I never knew there were such loud bongos on the help album which was kind of funny that george pointed it out but yeah all-time favorite of mine because it's weird it's gloriously beatly and it's just joy it's pure joy that song next up is the first single from the album ticket to ride um yeah great song heavy song it kind of starts it's kind of like see my friends by the kinks where they're kind of just droning on this one note for a while mm-hmm. um paul plays lead guitar on this um, including the, the licks on the, the coda on the out, those little, <laughs> which is like another girl. Yeah. 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 So this is the first, yeah. So when they started recording in 65, they took a new approach to recording, which was not just everything live at once, vocals, et cetera. They would record backing tracks first and focus on those and then overdub things on the best, you know, kind of the way things are done still to this day, depending on who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, Lennon played a Strat on this, uh, a lot of these songs, which that was news to me. I thought they stayed away from Fender gear, but Lennon played a Stratocaster, according to the Lewison book. Well, that was pretty emblematic of its era, right? Wasn't that being used quite a bit in 65? For sure, for sure. But they they always steered clear of like Fender gear early on because it, like in 62 or whatever, that was like the ventures and the shadows and surf music and that kind of a thing. And they were trying to just, you know, be original. That was, which is what I think I love the most right. about the Beatles is that they were just always trying to be original. So, so yeah, I mean, by 65, they're like, well, fuck it, you know, <laughs> but I don't, I've never seen them do a strat like, you know, in concert or anything. They're always playing Gibsons or Gretches and things like that. You mentioned Paul and his guitar work on this. I'm pretty sure Paul also designed the drum part for Ringo. Yes. And Ringo's drumming, uh, with uh, whether Paul taught him this or not, I know Paul kind of laid these drum parts out, but Ringo's fills are never the same twice, and they're all purposeful and economical, and the lasso where he just kind of hits the snare that one time feels like the culmination of every the simplicity of it. Somehow feels perfect. He couldn't top what he'd done, so it just bang. It's cool, man. Yeah, it's a it's a cool. Yeah, it's a great great rhythm. It's a unique sounding song. It's not my favorite, but hey, man, they were changing it up. You know, that's again what was always great about the Beatles is that they were always trying to do something different, do something new. They did. I want to hold your hand already. So what what else can we do? You know. I think John refers to it as the first heavy metal record, which may have been eighties. Mm-hmm. He does uh, early. I don't eighties. John is such a weird term because he didn't live to see the end of the year. But yeah. you know that 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 eighty interview of John, I think, is where he mentioned it. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, it's it was a little tongue in cheek, but it's a heavy record. Certainly, a heavy record to chart. It was not one of their. I think it hit number one and then pretty quickly scurried off. I, yeah. like it was not number one forever. No, uh, but it did hit number one. It was in a succession where they had like five or six singles all in a row that went number one. 
and where I'm envious of life in the 60s, uh, despite the many terrible issues of the 60s, but in terms of wishing I was an original Beatles fan, is the thrill of bringing the ticket to ride 45 home and putting it on and then flipping it over and hearing Yes It Is, Yeah. neither of which are songs that sounded like anything else on the radio in 65. Yeah. Like nothing else. So that thrill, again, part of the Beatles' legacy for that first generation, that's a special thing to get to feel. Now, I got free as a bird, so <laughs> I know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, that's. I feel the same way about that, especially those videos when they made the video. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we'll do 90s Beatles some other time. <laughs> 90s, 90s Beatles. Beatles. Yeah. 90s uh, Beatles, mash up your favorite 90s tunes with your favorite Beatles songs. Here's <laughs> Hope and Deliverance <laughs> into Money Don't Matter Tonight by Prince. I can't think of another 90s song. Oh, uh, um, Let Her Cry by Hootie and the Boilfish. <laughs> then the sun comes up tomorrow, you know, let her go. <laughs> Never. I, here's where I'm a hypocrite. Anti-Hootie, pro-Huey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Someone's going to call you out on that someday. You better watch <laughs> they out. Should. They should. <laughs> it's, it's warranted. Um, next up is Act Naturally. Okay, TJ. So this is the Buck Owens cover. It's got Ringo on the vocal. Um, this, so this is where I think I still prefer If You've Got Trouble in place of this song. I still think a Lennon and McCartney Naff song as George Harrison described it. <laughs> naff. <laughs> Not daff, naff. <laughs> yeah, naff. Two Fs. Is is still better than this Buck Owens thing. Uh I would disagree with that. I think this song is perfect contextually, and especially with Ringo kind of being the star of help. I always felt like it was a I didn't know the song was recorded after the movie uh, until yes. I don't know how many years ago. It was one of the last ones recorded. It was the second to last one recorded for the album. Okay, that, that makes sense uh, because that was after the movie had, I think, been completed. Yes. I had always thought of this song as being kind of a sly Ringo commentary on his role in the film. So it always kind of felt like a nice kind of connective tissue to me. Yeah, that's... You're right. They're going to put me in the movies. They're going to make a big star out of me. Yeah, you're right. It's 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 good. You know, I just... You no, know, I just... keep defending if you got trouble. <laughs> you think I'm soft in the head? Jesus. <laughs> Try something softer instead, pretty <laughs> thing. Try something softer instead, pretty thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I still dig... I still just... I think that's a more exciting song. I, I You know, whatever. I do like the whole Bakersfield thing, right? But I like the Bakersfield version of the Bakersfield thing. This is the Liverpool version of the Bakersfield thing. It's 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 all right. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Beatle covers. Let's be. I'll, I'll throw that out there with with okay. some exception. Ooh. I like I like I definitely like Long Tall Sally, but there's not a, there's not too many others really. And this was the last song that they covered until those Get Back sessions. Yes, that, that's right. It's their, their last cover. And to me, it's a fitting send-off. They love country music. It was a hit for Ringo in the country charts in the late 80s, maybe the early 90s. He and Buck Owens what? did a remake of it for uh. under the Capitol Nashville banner. I think trying to give Buck Owens kind of a comeback on country charts while Ringo is a touring act again. Um, so they kind of capitalized on that. And yeah, it charted uh, a, a new cover of them duetting. And it's not good. It sounds like <laughs> 90s country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 
something happened during those years with music. Yeah, it was fucking Reagan. <laughs> yeah. The Reagan era kind of killed country music. Think about it. And that's unfair to Dolly Parton and a few other good people, but 80s country largely, God. Yeah, trickle down country. Giddy up, papa, papa, mau, mau. God damn it. Now, here's some trivia, man. All right, I got some. This is some rad trivia. This is off that Lewison book. So, the day before they did act naturally, they were still looking for a song. The Beatles were. And Norman Smith had a song in his pocket, and he pitched it on the spot in the studio to John and Paul, played it for him. They were like, yeah, cool, let's do that. We'll do that tomorrow. And Dick James was in there, offered him Norman Smith. The engineer, the engineer, yeah. 15,000 pounds for the song. And he's looking over Dick Lester at George Martin, who's looking up at the ceiling saying, like, ask for more. And he puts it off. It's like, oh, well, let's talk about this tomorrow. Next day they come in. They're like, sorry, guys, we got to do this one for Ringo. We'll get to your song, Norman, later. And they never got to it. <laughs> I I don't remember that story. That's a that's a great one. And Norman Smith later had a, a single I yeah. think he capital at some point released a single of his. I know that. I and I th- I think he was the engineer on the first Pink Floyd record, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Like he he went in that in that world. There's a lot of quote unquote real Pink Floyd fans out there, and I like Pink Floyd. I'm no expert who prefer all the, the Sid Barrett stuff to the mid seventies stuff. Really? That's okay. Me. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those guys. Yeah, because it sounds more like the Beatles. And I I yeah, you know, I dig metal and I dig Dark Side. You know, I don't ever have to hear Dark Side again, but I like it. But yeah, those those early songs are just really more fun and out there. What's that? Uh, is Echoes that that twenty minute track at the end? Is that metal? Is that what yeah? That's on metal. That's, yeah. Oh, that's a great. I mean, that's a, that's an experience. This real quick. When I used to work radio, we had the FM station and then we had the AM station. The AM station played like um, Tejano music, and we gave the overnight guy. His name was Ben. We gave him Echoes to play Echoes, and he played Echoes in its entirety on the AM station at like 2 in the morning. <laughs> Dude, that's pretty amazing. And people, he got, he got phone calls. <laughs> Dude, it's just like when Comedy Central ran Too Many Cooks at 4 a.m. Terrible. Forgot about Too Many Cooks. That was good. Um, <laughs> well, next up is It's Only Love, which uh, we touched on a little earlier. So you you like this song. I, I like this song because I, the first 10 years of my Beatle existence, it was the first song on side two of Rubber Soul. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's American yeah. Rubber Soul. I totally forgot. Yeah. For a decade of my life, that's uh, when I was first getting into them to the CDs, it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I like this song too. People dog on this song. Lennon dogged on this song. Like he said in the, in the Playboy interview, he hated it. The lyrics were abysmal, which yeah. Okay. I'll give him that, you know, the (laughs) bright, very bright, you know? (laughs) So they're not, it's, it's not his greatest. It's not his master stroke as a lyricist. And I'm sure he was just writing it to just write it and get it out, but it's still like, it's a good song. It's pretty. It's a good message. That descending guitar part is beautiful and interesting. The echo effect on the guitar. What is that called? Not an echo effect. What's the, the bow, 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 bow. There's an effect at the end. I'm not a guitar player, but it almost, it's like a vibrato. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's a bendy, a bendiness to it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I, 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 for, forgive me, guitar players. I don't play guitar, so I don't know if it's a style of play or an effect, but it's weird and interesting. And again, like e- even a non-classic Beatles song has enough cool and daring stuff in uh, just under three minutes to really, or 240 to really dig. Yeah. I think they're capoed up is what I, I believe. Okay. So they're, that's why the guitar sounds so like higher in register. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, if you've got a problem with the lyrics, maybe on the, the 100th anniversary of this record in 2065, maybe, like, Sean's grandkids will get in there and rewrite <laughs> the lyrics, make them better, <laughs> revise that history. That's their campaign in 2068. Take a bad song and make it better. <laughs> the new remixes we've upgraded. Yeah, we fixed all the lyrics. We made them all woke for... By the way, you can't say woke anymore. It's 2068. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Madonna gone. Yeah, there's only two. It's only two Beatles songs left that you can play anymore. <laughs> you know my name. Look up the number and, and, and Rain. And yeah, and what's the new Mary Jane? <laughs> she cooks up Peruvian lamb. Hey, that's a good one. Anytime someone's like, "We got to shorten the way down," I'm like, "The Beatles did it for us." <laughs> so. Yeah, man, it's only love. It's a fine song to me. It's American Rubber Soul. Um, side two of help takes some crap from the quote unquote critics, but as we'll get to, it contains at least one of the most famous songs they ever made, and a batch full of really two all-time McCartney highlights are on side two of help. So everybody can cool it with your well. It's not their best side. Uh, it's better than Yellow Submarine side two. No offense, George <laughs> Martin. We all love Pepperland, and we all love the root doot 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 Yes, we all love that. <laughs> if you like the Beatles and the Music Man, you'll love. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so exactly. I uh, and I do. I like both. Uh, I like it's only love. <laughs> I do too, man. I also like the next song, You Like Me Too Much, George's second song on this record. Again, it's got the electric piano going on. Again, played by John Lennon. I love it when it gets up in the higher registers with that electric organ, uh, electric piano, I should say. I just love this song. I always have, even though, yes, it's another just kind of, it's it's trite if you want to say it's just like a 60s kind of pop fluff love song. Um, but I will say still, every time he does that, if you leave me going back into the verse, I, it still makes, I don't know. It does something to me musically. Yeah. You know why? Cause it's an abnormal key change. It doesn't make a ton of sense as a key change from bridge back to verse. And that's, what's so great about it is it's kind of a train wreck modulation. Is that what it is? I, I couldn't ever put my finger on it. I've loved that bit ever since I was 13 or whatever. Uh, uh, me too. Yes to that. And that weird kind of stuttering keyboard intro to me is always just, just fascinating. Yeah. Dare, 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 dare. It's not, it's like a barrel house intro, but it's not. And it's got kind of a dark kind of tone to it. It's just, again, in lesser British band hands, the songs uh, throw away in the Beatles hands. It's kind of a masterpiece of weird. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, that's probably why I like it because it's weird. Yeah. There's no other song that sounds like that. Um, after that was one that used to be one of my least favorite Beatles songs ever, and it's not like it's an atrocious song. It just was actually just kind of blah to me at the time. And this is a "Tell Me What You See" by Paul, um, but it's grown on me actually. I think what it is for me is that the verse is boring. It, it, it almost sounds like Paul needs a nap a little bit. He's just like kind of sleepy about <laughs> he, it. He probably did. He probably did. <laughs> they were, man. I looked at their the Beatles Bible on their schedule. They were just 
they were they never had a day off, man. Well, and Paul was was with Jane Asher and cheating on Jane Asher simultaneously, which I don't I do not endorse. I'm merely saying their exploits at night were crazy. Their exploits during the day were crazy. Their lives were crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No rest. Um, but I love the part in the song where the song just does clear for that, again, electric piano to come in, which bam, I believe bam, that's. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. And that's Paul. And then Ringo kind of wakes the song up with those drums you know, psh, coming in with the crash and then the double, the flam on the, on the snare. Um, and I also love on the second time round going into the final verse that Ringo hits that crash back into the, into the verse again. So yeah. that part I really like. Are those, uh, is, it, is it claves or claves? What is the, oh, claves, yeah. hey. Claves. <laughs> yeah, cl- <laughs> yeah uh, I think that's Paul playing the clave. It's either Paul or George, I forget. It's in the Lewison book. It, it roots it as very of its time. It almost, it, I always associate it a bit with um, uh, Not a Second Time in that it's kind of got that 60s lounge kind of feel to it, but with the energy and composition brilliance of Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. It's grown on me. It still might be in my bottom 10, but I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> next week, buddy, the bottom 10. Yes. And ranked. No fudge in the rankings, but the bottom 10 for sure. Um, I, the next song I've just seen a face to me is, uh, probably one of the singular McCartney songs of his time with, with the Beatles. And in fact, it's one of the, as we talked about a few weeks ago, one of the five songs he picked uh, when he did his Wings Over America tour and finally resurrected Beatles tunes in his lineup. In like kind of a campfire faster hoedown type of thing, which is what the song always, it works in both realms. It works as a pretty little folk song. It works as a campfire song. It works as a ballad. It's yeah. gorgeous. And I didn't know. So this song was actually written years prior. It was written kind of during the skiffle craze. They used to, I guess, they used to play it back, you know, Quarry Minute. And the working title on it is Auntie Jin's song. Mm-hmm. Isn't that great? Paul's uh, Paul's father's youngest sister, because she liked this song, I guess. Later referred to in Let Him In. Oh, she, she gets a shout out and Let Him In. Auntie wow. Jin. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I I never put those two together. That's yeah, great. Man, that's what this show does. It brings people together. <laughs> now, I don't often break out into ebony and ivory, but much like the weird no, all white Paul McCartney Hamish Stewart version from the 89 tour, <laughs> he of average white band watching Paul sing ebony and ivory with another white man on stage. I don't get offended easily. And I'm a Paul apologist, but like, hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Come on, you, man. you know some wild stuff like uh, yeah i <laughs> i did not That's, i was not aware of that one when, when, when you're a nerd oh and only child you share a lot of this because you're yeah. all those things too yeah but this I, because it hit me so young the stuff i picked up this is all i cared about from six or so on so that's why i know so much of the weird there's obvious chunks missing I've never read Shout in their generation. That's that's my big uh, Beatles admission. That's another thing. I never read the Philip Norman book, the most famous of books. Okay. So there, there's some there's Beatles admissions we'll make too. Sure. Yeah, I don't think I've read that one either. Um, yeah. That's the one everyone says is the kind of not the definitive, but I think the first from someone who was there in their time. Um, but we'll let's let's yeah. get back to help because God knows we could do this all all day, but. Uh, I've Just Seen a Face is also the first song of the American Rubber Soul, which, as I've mentioned before, with all due respect to Drive My Car, Drive My Car kicks off yesterday and today 
I've just seen a face kicks off rubber soul. I agree. Well, moving Whoa. on to the world's most covered song on the planet. Uh, that means a lot. <laughs> Princess that you Paul, why are you singing like that? <laughs> hey, guys, hold. This is George Martin. Can we make those harmonies on the word got sound worse? <laughs> You're, of course, talking about that means a lot, uh, which yeah. was given to PJ Proby. They tried doing that song twice. We've only heard the first version. The remake, which was faster and all that, has never been heard that I know of. I've never heard it. Uh, but no, I'm sorry, TJ. What I actually meant was the song Yesterday, which was covered by more than just PJ Proby. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it's listed in Wikipedia. Yesterday, covered by more than just PJ Proby. What's your, oh, you know, everybody knows Yesterday. Uh, what's your favorite cover of Yesterday? Do you have one of all the millions of covers of it? Uh, the one I've heard the most is the Elvis one. Because uh, he would do it in his live shows in 69 and 70. So, yeah, I, I, sure. I like the Elvis version. <laughs> of course, because Elvis, you know, a hound dog wasn't a friend of his, but Nixon was. So, <laughs> fuck you, Elvis. <laughs> I know. You'll never forgive him for that. This is before the Elvis. This is before Nixon. This is before Nixon was even president, right? Am I crazy? No, he was president. Anyway. I think, yeah, I, th- I think he was by then. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and one of the best we're going to get to, by the way, stay tuned because around Christmas time, Tony and I delve into all the Beatles anthologies and I'll, as a little preview, the way they edit the scene of Elvis, of talking about the Beatles meeting Elvis, they play the tag of Hound Dog and on the, uh, yeah, you never called around, you ain't no friend of mine, dun, 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 they cut to a black and white shot of Elvis and Nixon shaking hands and smiling and it's some of the best editing I've ever seen <laughs> just it's it's so telling so my favorite version is probably the um the ray charles yesterday which is very kind of mid to late period late charles overwrought but with the voice of ray charles so it's incredible yeah yeah so yeah originally this song was called scrambled eggs i guess he'd had this song kicking around since january of 64 so this is before america he had this song kicking around and I guess he was playing it to friends, being like, is this something? Is this something? And him and John kept joking about it. It was, it was scrambled eggs. It was also just a bunch of other stuff. They kept looking for what's the right word we need for yesterday before. And, I, and London said he was actually kind of bummed a little bit when Paul discovered that it was yesterday because then all the joking was done. And he was like, oh, he liked that bit. Are you... Um annoyed by how in recent years the scrambled egg story has kind of taken on a life of its own like i don't even know paul did a paul did a parody of it with fallon a couple of years ago where he sings scrambled right. egg. like it used to be kind right. of a cool beetle inside story does that stuff bother you or is it cool to you um i mean it's what it is like yeah it's one of those things that it's it's almost like that goofy movie yesterday where it's like okay well this band it was never ours. In a way, it's ours. Like, nerds, they're ours if you know all the little things. So, like, oh, that was one of our trivia facts, you know? And now, like, oh, now it's this Fallon thing where it's stupid and garbage. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But but I'm not definitely not losing sleep over it because Beatles trivia is endless. So... Uh, we'll just get a new one, you know, we'll get a new, a new fact, you know, maybe it's the, whatever song Norman Smith had that was going to be on the record. What could that have been? Norman quote unquote, Hurricane Smith. I think. <laughs> or am I confusing? I think it might be his, uh, his nickname. Oh yeah. Now. I don't know. I think so. I thought that was the, the DJ for the Beastie Boys. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, we could go on and on about yesterday. It's the most covered song of all time. I think we've talked about it before in the context of the collaborations. It is, it's weird to say yesterday's not my favorite Beatles song. It is so baked into me. I've heard it so many times that it, it feels like one of those standards you just live in and don't need to hear again. I'm, when I make playlists, I'm generally, unless I'm sad, not putting yesterday on them. Oh no, neither am I. And yeah, I was, yeah, I was trying to wrap my head around it too. Like, why don't I like this song so much? And I think it was because by the time you and I were born, this song was already a standard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we never got to experience, I would have, like you said earlier, I would have loved to experience this in the context of the band evolving, you know, going from, I want to hold your hand and ticket to ride. And then the next thing you hear is this beautiful song, you know, that's just Paul and a, and some buddies, <laughs> some acquaintances. What does it tell you? I mean, I know what it tells you. I was rhetorical about how selfless the Beatles were in those days to not have any egos to go, you know, Paul, I should, you know, we could do something on yesterday. We could, you know, I could, I could, you know, play a little acoustic behind you or I could double, you know, the Beatles were like, yeah, man, your tune, go at it. We've, you and I have done improv and comedy for so long. Like, yeah, it's, great when that happens and it's great to set each other up for success and be grateful for other people's success but it doesn't happen all the time right shit like shit like that breaks up lesser lesser bands yeah for real well i just have i have little trivia bits about the song you want to hear those yeah so paul was working on the song all during the filming of help and there was a piano brought in on set and he kept tinkering on it and it was annoying the hell out of dick lester and he told him to like all right wrap it up Write that song. <laughs> um, so funny. The lyrical breakthrough came in Portugal on a holiday. Oh, I mean, here's the other, here's the remarkable thing. This song was recorded the same night as I've Just Seen a Face and I'm Down. Yeah. Like those three songs were all recorded in the same night. But to go from a screamer like I'm Down to yesterday yeah it went i'm down he recorded first then he records yesterday <laughs> and then he does i've just seen a face the three totally different sounding paul mccartney songs that are all classics and top of their tier in their own regard and then you gave me the stereo 65 mix which i finally heard and check this out like, this is another edit thing or whatever but at 19 seconds in Right before the strings come in, there's like this squeaky door sound that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can faintly hear it on the stereo 2009 mixes, but it's not on the mono mix and it's not on the 2015 mix that they did for one or whatever. So they've since gotten rid of it, but it's most prominent on that 65 stereo mix. Well, they'd originally written yesterday for one of their Christmas records, and that was going to be the ghost of Ebenezer Scrooge coming in <laughs> to haunt all the listeners. At the last minute, they didn't do it, but it was going to be one of their pantomimes for O-U-T spells out. <laughs> Christmas time is here again. I just listened to a cover of that song yesterday. Anyway. <laughs> uh, fake trivia. Fake trivia, Shannon. <laughs> Fake trivia. These Jews in the media. All right. Um, yeah. So yesterday, one of the greats, uh, gorgeous, belongs on the album yesterday. Dot dot dot. And today. And then it closes with uh, a cover, uh, "Dizzy Miss Lizzie," which is a Larry Williams tune. 
that they recorded on the night of Larry Williams' birthday, May 10th. Uh, they also recorded that same night another tune penned by Larry Williams called Bad Boy. And this was a hastily arranged session, I believe, uh, to complete. Uh, they needed more songs for the American albums. I think both of these yeah. were on Beatles 6. I think, yeah. I think so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to blame my age. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure both these songs are on Beatles 6, which was kind of a bunch of leftovers from Beatles for Sale and Precursor Stuff to Help. Um, and oddly... Bad Boy, which kind of sat, at least in, in England, and never saw a CD until Past Masters came out. Right. Bad Boy is, a much, to me, a much better cover than Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Yeah, 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 I agree. I agree. Um, I don't think it would be a good album closer. I think there's something about this song being a, a, a good album closer that works. But yeah, Bad Boy is just a more fun song. Is that the one where it sounds like he says poop in it? Uh, right. <laughs> I still know what he's saying. Do your neighbors poop? Yeah. Because yeah. he rides with a hula hoop. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, I still don't know what's going on in that song. Yeah. It's <laughs> even the chord and the whistle on now, Junior, behave yourself. Woo. That kind of. Yeah. Uh, to me, they do the Larry Williams songs better than Larry Williams did in my, in my humble opinion. Um, and that's not true for every Beatles cover. I think the Beatles outdid the Isley Brothers with Twist and Shout. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I prefer the Chuck Berry versions, the Beatles versions of uh, Rock and Roll Music and Roll Over uh, Over Beethoven, I'm not sure. I think I just love George's take on that so much. But at any rate, back to Dizzy Miss Lizzie, it almost, it's always sounded to me like John's fighting with the band for tempo. I feel like the tempo is always just, it's fighting. Like Ringo's bringing it down and John's like, let's pick it up. You can just tell in his vocal delivery. It could have been faster, I think. It totally could have been faster. And the the push and pull of it, again, it makes it not a great cover. It makes it interesting. And it's the one song on Help, I'm pretty sure the one that I prefer in mono. I feel like the mono version of it gives it a little more of a punch. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Very quickly, the U.S. version of this album had the seven songs from the film, and it was also mixed with incidental music from the film. Uh, that are, Yeah, it goes Help with the James Bond intro, Night Before. Then it goes into From Me to You Fantasy, which is a sitar piece. First sitar on, on Beatles record, I believe, and only yeah. in the Capitol version. Yeah, yeah. And then this this it was on the set of Help that George's interest in Indian music uh, began. Uh, hide your love away. I need you. Then in the, t- the Tyrol, the Tyrol, this kind of military mm-hmm. dramatic piece, that's side one side two, another girl, another hard day's night, which is like a sitar version of hard day's night, <laughs> which is great. And used on every breakfast with the Beatles program in the world as their background stuff. <laughs> it's, uh, t- I see you, Terry Hemmert. <laughs> Ticket to Ride goes into The Bitter End slash You Can't Do That, yet another like orchestra version of You Can't Do That. You're Gonna Lose That Girl, and then a song called The Chase. Uh, I listened to this record yesterday in its entirety, the U.S. version, and the soundtrack music just feels really out of place and out of context to me, to these ears, with the Beatles music. It's especially like going into like You're Gonna Lose That Girl out of that weird You Can't Do That. It doesn't work for me. It is how I learned this album. It's the way I heard it really? for many, many, many years. Wow. And that that plus the same with a hard day's night. And in fairness, 
in retrospect, as a kid and as a young adult, I didn't care for any of the instrumental stuff. But over the years, especially what about four or five years ago, when Hard Day's Night was finally issued on CD, the American version, because Help has been on CD since early '06, early excuse me, the early 2000s, I think, either '04 or '06, when they did that kind of cheesy, kind of terribly assembled Capitol Albums box set. Yes. They did a volume one and a volume two. Hard Day's Night was left out because that was technically a United Artists album. Right, right. Um, but Help had been available for a while, but I hadn't really listened to Hard Day's Night in a long time. And those George Martin instrumentals are a beautiful period piece. These instrumentals here, and I'm who scored these? Ken Thorne. So this isn't George Martin. This is Ken Thorne here. Using sitar and James bonding up some Beatles stuff in retrospect is pretty damn brilliant. And it's not the preferred way to listen to help. I don't know if you found this when you listened. I listened again this week. I thought it was a cool way. It was familiar, and you forget how great those orchestrations are, especially using the Indian stuff. Uh, One last thing on this. I'm holding the vinyl in my hand. The back cover says, produced in England by George Martin and in the USA by Dave Dexter Jr. This They made it a gatefold, despite only being one album. I believe, other than Beatles Story, it was the first gatefold in... Yeah. And on Capitol Records and sold it as like a deluxe souvenir package. But of course they took half, they took side two of the British one off so they could come up with other albums. Yeah. Yeah. As the Americans did as Dave Dexter, Dexter, Dave Dexter Jr. And then briefly, the one song we failed to mention because it's not on the record is uh, wait, which was recorded during this time. And uh, was left off uh, to do some more overdubs and then was on Rubber Soul. And it feels like a perfect song on Rubber Soul, which is why when we started this, I talked about Help kind of melding into Rubber Soul. The fact that in the U.S. two songs from Help were on Rubber Soul, the fact that Wait was recorded during Help, they almost feel like a, a, much like Revolve and Rubber Soul feel like double albums. I think British Help and British Rubber Soul, British Help and American Rubber Soul feel like a double album to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's fun to play with context on all these. One of these days we'll have to uh, we'll have to maybe review just like those weird American records like Beatles 6. I was doing that the other week like I took out whatever American records I had and put them on on my turntable and it was just fun to hear these songs in slightly different contexts, slightly different orders. I'd be down for that, my friend. I have such an emotional uh you can't see right now, but I have a huge capital promo poster from 82. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. You see that? It's a a great reference to have all those American albums just laid out like that, because to me, they're still all mixed up in my head, um, having grown up buying both at the same time and then realizing like, I'm sure Oh, the British ones have everything. So stick with the British. But there's something fun about those American records. We definitely should do an episode uh, on the American albums. They still remain near and dear to me, and I think they get dogged, but as time has passed, they have their own cool pleasures. I agree, brah. <laughs> great, great talk, bro. We, we, we matchbox 20-bit. And listen, you've been a buddy for a long time. Uh, as Rob Thomas says, I want to take you for granted. <laughs> you. What the fuck kind of lyric is I don't that? know, man. Yeah, he's, you know, instead of therapy, he writes songs, I guess. Yeah, dude, just like John. Matchbox 20, John Lennon, Mount Rushmore. 
Um, all right. Great, great talking to Tony. Next week, we're going to really delve into Ringo's uh, Bad Boy album. I think we're going to take a look at the yeah. song Lipstick Traces. I know. One of these days we have to do that. I don't know. We keep coming up with I, I got I to gotta write this down. <laughs> Look, if anybody wants to be an intern or a secretary or some form of note-taker, yeah. um, great, great talking to you, Tony. Thanks, man. All right. See you next week, buddy. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs>